This is an ABC podcast. This is Culture Compass with Sayuli Salamasina von Reiki on ABC Radio Australia. That's the root of the laotza. We use the root, we crush it up, and you just squeeze it onto the to the baby's back and, you know, rub it all over its body. People travel from all over Samoa to visit Vera McCarthy when their kids are sick. Uh, that's my specialty, children. Even though there are medical doctors around, her knowledge is just as valuable to her community. And I think herbal medicine will survive because I think people are going back to their own naturalness, natural way of eating, natural way of growing. And also, they have to look at their own lands and respect their soils and whatever because that will sustain their children. That's Papali'i Momoe Maliatoa Von Raiki, but I just call her mum. Mum and Vera have been like sisters ever since I was young. So, of course, I used to call Vera when my kids got sick. She'd gather leaves off the nonu tree and they'd be out of bed in no time. A nonu is for the cough, a very dry cough. We use the, the, the fruit, the little baby fruits, not the, the matured ones. Little baby ones with the flowers, that's what we use for the medicine for the cough. We crush that up to the little fruits put it into a little gorse, you know, and squeeze it into their mouths. You used to treat your son Lucas with all the medicine. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Lucas and Della Cruz. If you grew up in the islands, you probably have some understanding of which plants are useful and which ones to avoid even if you're not a traditional healer like Vera. And even when my family moved to Australia, if the kids got sick, I'd send my husband down to the park where we knew there was a nonu tree. He'd pinch a few leaves and bring them back home to us. I'm Sayuli Salamasina von Raiki, and this is Culture Compass, the show about survival, revival, and connection throughout the Pacific. Before we had Western medicines, we knew that plants save lives. And all across the Pacific, we know exactly which ones were for burns, cuts and infections. Of course, there are benefits to modern medicine. But should we totally disregard the traditional ways of treating ailments? Or is there a world where we can embrace both? Vera's special understanding of the natural remedies and healing plants of Samoa has been in her family for generations. We grew up in a village down the road here by Basti. And my grandmother was, she was always on the go. She doesn't know how to rest. When they, someone was sick, they'd grab these leaves, grab them, get leaves from everywhere. <laughs> and she would chew them up. Because uh, some of the, uh, the medicine, you can't pound them, but you have to chew them. Or she chews everything you, you put in her hand. And then the roots from all these plants, because she'll, she'll say, ah, 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 if, um, if this doesn't work, it's the wrong plant. You, <laughs> you put the wrong leaves. <laughs> 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 and the, 
even the foods we ate with always leaves. But then she passed on and I thought, oh, I wish I listened to her all that time. <laughs> Would you say that each island has their own sort of specific healing methods? Oh, definitely, definitely. Samoa has different values, different ways of looking at our own environment, different ways of our our stories, you know, of where we come from. And, and our country is different too, from Tonga, from Fiji. So they have their own traditional healings. But somehow, somewhere along the line, if we can't really find a football here, then we'll say, okay, let's take, try uh, this for Mai or this uh, doctor or this Taulasea from Tonga or from Fiji. Maybe they can cure this Mai. Huh? Sometimes they are similar or parallel, you know, like their knowledge would be parallel to some of our knowledge insofar as herbs and medicinal Vera's grandmother and great-grandmother have passed this knowledge down to Vera. Will it be up to Vera to choose who she passes this knowledge down to? I think uh, what your knowledge was passed down from your grandmother, your great-grandmother, da-da-da, it comes right through your family. So a lot of these traditional medicines are within the family and they pass it down to their own, you know, their own uh, kin or their own children. What do you think? Yeah. Are you going to pass your knowledge to us, just anybody? Or you keep no, it no. in your family? You see? There you go. <laughs> the other thing yeah. too, Sal, if you pass your knowledge, if you pass the knowledge of your war to someone else, they don't have the touch, you know, the healing touch. These old ladies have really had good teachers before them because all this knowledge is passed down. And now it's stuck with her. She needs to find somebody to pass it on to. Mm-hmm. It would be so sad if she loses that. Have you been able to teach your children or anyone else uh, in your family or your community about these medicines? Oh, no, no. My, my kids are not interested, uh, but they take it. But <laughs> No, I've never passed it on to anyone. Yeah, do you feel that maybe you might want to share that knowledge with like a younger generation to keep that tradition going? Oh, yeah, that would be nice. I have that daughter, Alishi, but I'll make her do it. I'll make her. <laughs> Dr. Alapate Vakamodea is the secretary of the Fijian Medical Association, and he's got a special interest in this new area of medicine called lifestyle medicine. We'll explain that a bit later. He spent years studying to become a doctor, and as it turns out, medicine runs in his family. His grandmother would use Fijian natural remedies when he got sick as a child. This is probably the same story for every other you know, Fijian and Pacific Islander out there. So I had a, a grandmother in Fiji, we called them Bumbus. Um, and uh, Bumbu always had uh, something to treat, um, you know, ailments, whether it be, you know, diarrhea or fever or, you know, simple uh, infections like abscesses. There was always something that uh, she had, a little, you know, trick up her sleeve or she'd come over in the weekends and then, you know, have a, have a look at us, open our mouths and have a look inside and go, oh, you know, you need to be cleaned up today. Uh, you've uh, got a lot of junk food in you. And then they'd give us um, uh, some traditional medicine. Uh, we call it uh, lai or dangolaya here in Fiji, which is basically a wild ginger root pounded. And, and you know, you're almost force-fed to, to drink it before you can uh, get access to breakfast or something like that. Uh, but, yeah, there was uh, always uh, something going on in terms of uh, some traditional medicine or, um, yeah, herbal medicine. Uh, and, and I think this, this is still true even today. 
Oh, ginger root is the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not when you're a four-year-old or five-year-old. <laughs> what other types of herbs or plants that did your grandmother use on you? Oh, um, you know, there was a whole, whole host of them um, from, uh, you know, box of trees. I remember one time we, we had to drink the back of what's called a noko-noko tree, grind it down and then boiled into this red uh, liquid. And then, yeah, we had to drink it for whatever ailments. But also I remember growing up, and this is interesting because this, this doesn't exist today. In, in primary school, um, uh, health sciences, we were taught about uh, using herbal um, treatments like something called uh, myelaminate, which in Fiji is, is uh, botembote and I think the English version of this is the billy goat weed. And this was uh, taught to us um, as part of the curriculum to use if you're you know, running around outside and you fall down and get a scrape on your leg. Then you find the botibotikoro and you know, rub it between your legs and squeeze the juice out into the, the wound or the cut. And then you spread the leaf out and it, it forms sort of a plaster. And as it uh, dries up, it hardens and sticks to your skin. So things like that we were actually taught as part of the curriculum. But I, I don't see that um, nowadays, which is a bit sad. Like yourself, I was brought up with the mile a minute. And I remember that red drink well. It, <laughs> it took quite a while to, to, to try and swallow that stuff. But yes, it did work yes, as well. Yes. Is, is traditional medicine widely practiced in Fiji? Yeah, um, absolutely. And in fact, um, you know, here in Fiji, you probably have someone in your family who still practices herbal medicine or traditional medicine. And if, if you don't, then you know somebody who does. So, I um, mean, it's still very, very widely, um, used, uh, widely turned to here in Fiji. Yeah. Are there any traditional medicines that, in your opinion, are medically effective to treat an issue? Yeah, this is a, this is a difficult, uh, difficult one. Um, uh, so there's, there's quite a few um, herbal treatments in Fiji um, that are also used, uh, you know, in, in other countries, in other parts of the world. Uh, and, you know, like the, the billy goat weed is a, is, a, is a good example of ones that have actually had some uh, scientific studies done on them uh, and, you know, have proven that they're a good antiseptic. Um, I think the other ones that uh, that I would use in, in practice, um, things like uh, guava leaves uh, for treatment of like um, diarrhea and things like that. Um, but, uh, you know, the difficulty for us is um, we have to have, in order to be treating, uh, you know, patients, we need to have that a good body of clinical evidence. And that, that's, that's quite lacking for a lot of our uh, traditional medicines. But, you know, we've got a lot of anecdotal evidence as well. Are there any herbal medicines that aren't as effective as people believe them to be? The things like... Um, uh, you have issues with like quality control, like, you know, when they talk about using uh, sort of um, purple leaves for the treatment of dengue, you know, how much, uh, how much leaves, you know, how do you prepare it? What's the proper way to prepare? You know, you can't adjust things like dosages, you know, like with uh, traditional medicines, you can say here, take 500 milligrams of uh, amoxicillin, for example, but it, you know, it's a bit difficult to prescribe how much Purple leaves to take and things like that. So it is, it is, uh, you know, a bit of an issue, uh, because quality control can't be guaranteed. And I guess that's one of the reasons why it's difficult to design, um, you know, rigorous medical studies, uh, especially here in the Pacific, because we don't have the lab. Uh, equipment that can detect, you know, the exact enzymes and chemicals that you're trying to test. So it'll be very difficult to do um, a herbal study in Fiji because, you know, quality control and quantity control would be quite, uh, quite difficult. 
Um, so, you know, in terms of effectiveness, it would vary significantly. Um, and also everybody's body is different. Everybody's immunity is different. You know, the disease load, the viral load is all different. Measuring efficacy with a good measurement is, is going to be, is, is always difficult. Yeah. Are people who practice traditional medicines generally a bit skeptical of Western medicines? Ah, uh, yeah. So usually the teaching or the saying within um, uh, the people who practice uh, herbal medicine is that, look, if you're taking herbal medicines, you stop taking the Western medicines. And we see this quite a lot with uh, with uh, patients who go and try herbal treatments for like, uh, you know, diabetes or um, hypertension and things like that. Um, usually the traditional healer will say, oh, you know, drink this and take this and take this, but stop taking your metformin and stop taking your uh, antihypertensives. And that's when we um, sort of get into a bit of trouble. How do you overcome this as a doctor? Yeah, it, it's uh, it can get quite challenging and you have to be very uh, sensitive um, around some of this because a lot of it is, um, you know, a lot of the traditional medicines and uh, traditional healing um, methods, it's ingrained into culture. And um, uh, you still want these people to be able to access your services. So you can't totally just disregard, um, you know, the herbal treatment and the herbal medicine. So finding that sweet spot, finding that balance is, has always uh, been a challenge. And um, in fact, it's it's one of the things that uh, that we struggle with um, on, you know, uh, almost a daily basis. Um, so take, for example, somebody who comes to the hospital and they get diagnosed with cancer. As soon as they hear cancer, the first uh, thing they think of is, okay, let me try something uh, herbal. And they go to a traditional healer. They, they seek out somebody who has treated cancer in the past. And uh, they say, you know, I've got cancer. Please treat me. And then they go through the whole herbal treatment. Um, and unfortunately, by the time they present back to for Western medicine intervention, it's, it's usually too late. And then we get bad rep because uh, then people, you know, families step back and they look and they say, oh, when he was going to the traditional healing, he was fine. But as soon as he ended up at CWM or one of the hospitals, he died, you know. Um, and so that, that bad rap sort of revolves again and then that forces people to say, you know, let's let's try and seek traditional healing first. So it's a, uh, it gets very difficult, um, but, you know, we have to be sensitive of uh, people's culture and um, their traditional beliefs and try and be open to it. Um, so, you know, some of the ways that we can do this is by saying, look, it's okay to go and see the traditional healers, but please continue to come and attend your clinics and, and uh, things like that so that we can uh, intervene when um, when we still can. Do you think traditional herbs and medicines need to be studied more so we can understand them better? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the difficulty is is coming up with a, a good, solid, randomized control trial, for example. Uh, so, okay, let, let's give you a bit of background. I'm part of a group of people um, who have subscribed to a, a new branch of medicine called lifestyle medicine. Now, with lifestyle medicine, one of our key focuses is nutrition using food as medicine. And this is like 100% evidence-based. Eh? So I'm happy to go and you know, argue with anybody um, about what I'm about to tell you. So like, for example, when I set up my clinic here in Suva, the front of the clinic was what we call a pharmacy, but not P-H-A-R, it's F-A-R. So pharmacy, because every food that we prepared at that pharmacy was a form of herbal treatment. So like, you know, we had the lilac, the ginger root, we had the, um, uh, what was it, uh, the beetroot salads and like everything that has been medically proven um, to be effective against diseases, it was sold there. All of the knowledge that we got from there, none of those studies 
were done locally. It's everything that's been done um, overseas in, you know, in, in other countries and um, in other places. What we find very difficult is to get a proper, you know, solidly designed uh, randomized control trial or something done in the Pacific. And we've got lots of reasons why that is. If people could start doing, you know, more studies locally, um, I think that would build up, I guess, enthusiasm and a bit more support into using more um, uh, herbal Local treatments, yeah. Um, there's a lot of work that's been done by um, uh, Suliana Siwatimbao, and in fact, she's written a whole book about um, something along the lines of herbs uh, in Fiji. And a lot of that is is also scientifically based. A lot of that is anecdotal, um, but I mean, it's a, it's a start. Eh? It's a it's a really good start, I think, for people in the Pacific who like to use um, herbal treatments. In Fiji, is it difficult to see a GP? or get to a hospital if you need medical treatment? In terms of basic medical care, it's not a challenge. But advanced medical care, like, for example, uh, and, and depending on where you are, like if you're on one of the islands closer to Tonga, like on Lao, um, and you require surgery, then, you know, that's when it starts to get a bit tricky and we'll have to send a, a helicopter to, um, you know, um, do a messy flight um, out. And, um, like, sometimes we have emergencies, uh, you know, in the middle of the night in, in a storm um, on an island, and obviously we can't send a helicopter. Um, so what happens is usually we send a, um, a navy boat, and that can take about anything between about you know 12 hours to a day to go get you and and bring you back. Access to advanced medical care can be an issue at times um, here in Fiji, depending on your location. Yeah. Is there a world where people can maintain their health by using both traditional and modern medicines? Yeah, I think uh, that's, uh, I mean, absolutely, especially for here in Fiji and, and the Pacific. You wouldn't do very well as a physician in Fiji if you think that um, modern medicine has the answers to everything. Uh, the key, again, is trying to find uh, that balance. And, um, you know, it, it, it'll be silly um, if you just totally disregard uh, herbal treatment because, you know, at the end of the day, most of our modern medicines have their origins in, um, you know, herbal treatments. Um, so uh, there has to be a balance. You have to find that balance um, and uh, not totally disregard the traditional medicines and um, the traditional treatments. Yeah. So how can we make sure that traditional medicines continue alongside Western medicine? Although the younger generations might not be as immersed in the world of herbs and plants as their grandparents, there are other ways that they're keeping our traditional treatments alive. Like Cook Island's filmmaker Josh Baker, who is capturing the indigenous knowledge he grew up around on camera. I went to uni in Auckland, New Zealand, and I studied for two years for a um, bachelor's degree in um, film and production. Once that finished, I came back to the Cook Islands and wanted to see what I could do here, you know, within the film industry. There is no film industry here on the Cook Islands, so I knew I needed to set something up, but... It was really fun, and that's kind of where I started with um, Wairako Māori. How wonderful. I was just watching part of it, but please, it features your father, which is very special. What is he making in the film? Yeah, so um, what my dad is making in the film is called Wairako Ati, 
And Vairaku Ati is basically a natural, organic concoction of all these different um, tree barks and water and mixing it all together. And, you know, it's, it's, it heals um, broken bones. When he told me about Vairaku Ati, I was kind of blown away because I didn't realize that is something that Cook Islanders had in regards to the knowledge that they held. And I was surprised that he never really shared much about it with me until I actually approached him about what this Fairako Ati is. It was it was a special, special moment between me and me and him because I was interested and it was that interest in the medicine that it allowed him to open up about the knowledge around this um this medicine. It's very special. I was brought up during the time too of uh, using the natural uh, therapies of where I come from in Samoa. But why did you feel yeah. it was important to make a film capturing this process? Well, I, th- I think it's important because this traditional knowledge is, is slowly being forgotten. And I think film is such a powerful medium to be able to capture and, you know, in a way, immortalize this knowledge. You know, it's out there in the world now. Due to colonization, Christianity, you know, that was deemed as a kind of demonic practice. So I think it's absolutely ridiculous. And I think, you know, by putting it out there into the world, we're capable of reversing the effects of colonization. And that was just a small part of it. It's important to have, you know, people who are from that community to document this knowledge. I grew up here in the Cook Islands, so I feel like I have the right to to document this knowledge and to try and archive it and, you know, keep this knowledge alive. So the colonial missionaries, when they visited the Cook Islands, or rather they moved in, you know, they documented what they saw. From their perspective, it was heathenistic, as they would say, but to us, it was it was just our way of life, and you know, I'm fascinated by how we used to live in the past, and you know, a lot of that knowledge that we held, you know, it was from generations of just sharing this knowledge with each other and passing it down to one another, and it just kept getting refined, and you know, over the years, and they kept perfecting everything, and then all of a sudden, when it was at its peak of being like we understand the environment because we've lived in it for so long, it's been forgotten. And it's, it's it makes me sad that, you know, that's the case. But I think not all hope is lost. I think there's still a chance for us to, to bring it back to life. And I think that is through the perspective of other Pacific Islanders. My Lord. And how did he learn? Like, how did he learn what plants to use for certain remedies? Did someone pass it down to him? Yes. So um, this knowledge was passed down to him from his grandmother. You know, she was the one that really taught him how how to make this medicine. Each family, they have their own variations of this this medicine, but this was particular within my dad's family. So my great-grandmother was just passing it down to him and keeping it within the family, but he kind of just kept it to himself. He didn't share it with anyone else. So I don't think he realizes that it's going to end with him if he doesn't share it. It was, it was really great that I got to 
capture him. And ever since I created this film, you know, people have been reaching out to me and, you know, wanting to watch the film because they wanted to learn more about um, Vairako Māori. That's so awesome. So as you were growing up, did you use much of the traditional medicine as a young kid or you just learned about it now that you're older? When I was growing up, I was aware of all these different plants, but I never saw the value in them because it wasn't instilled in me, you know, at a young age that this knowledge is important. I wanted to explore that a bit further when, as I got older. But when I was younger, there's this plant called Marlaminet, which is, um, you know, it's a weed. But if you have a serious cut on your leg or something, you just gather these leaves and then you, um, you know, you smash them up and then they turn into a green paste and then you put it all over your leg and then you wrap it up and then that really speeds up the healing process when it comes to these um, serious cuts. And even with, um, you know, with pawpaw, papaya seeds, they're, they're great when it comes to um, cleansing your insides. No, it's really good. I, I see where you're coming from, mile a minute. I couldn't find the English name for it, but we used a lot of that too when I was growing up. I think I must have used yes. tons of it because I was forever getting a cut. <laughs> yeah, but um, that's wonderful. I think it's it's interesting how, what you say. It's, um, you know, you used to use a mile a minute as well um, when you were growing up in Samoa. And, you know, I think that, you know, Pacific Islanders and Pacifica people we all have this knowledge. It's in us. It's uh, and we have to. It just shows the connection that we all have as Pacifica people. And I think you know that these stories are are amazing. You know, we can relate to all these um, different scenarios that we've you know experienced. It's it's very similar. So it's it's interesting. It is. Well, it's all about survival. <laughs> Isn't it? We're, we're so isolated. I mean, you know, as, as islands, you're isolated. So, yes, you have to understand what's around you to help you. But yeah. um, in the Cook Islands, um, are there any other plants that you can think of that are used for medicinal purposes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, say the coconut tree, you know, they, they call the coconut tree as the tree of life. You know, every aspect of the coconut tree you can use even when it comes to certain flowers or, you know, there's, I was introduced to this concept around um, famine foods, which is, you know, in the past, our ancestors used to rely on these famine foods that is considered rubbish today. But our people would use those during times of hardship, you know, during um, tropical cyclones or where there was drought or, you know, everything you know, there was always a purpose for every single, we've, we've lost that part of the history. It's, and I think it's important that we should try to revive it. And I think it's up to you. you you've got the means to do it. You know, I'm, I'm not the only one that's um, in the Cook Islands that's doing this work. I know of a lot of people that are actually working on um, documentaries and working on their own um, stories, you know, to tell. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's really encouraging to see um, everyone else joining this conversation because it is important. Is there much interest from the younger generation uh, to learn more about the traditional medicines? Yeah, um, 
I have to mention this um, amazing group here in Rarotonga called um, Korero Te Ora. Their work with the youth is really encouraging. So I think there is kids who are being encouraged to join their um, youth programs. You know, they're being taught how to plant, being taught how to fish. They go to the outer islands and then they just do some amazing work. So... Yeah, I think there is some interest in the youth here. So I think, yeah, it's, it's really encouraging. It's more than medicine. It's a deep understanding of the natural gifts our islands provide us. Western systems have given us entirely new ways to combat sickness. And the plant-based remedies we've always known will stick around as long as we keep documenting the knowledge of our elders. And although I reach for cough medicine some nights now, I'll still always be on the lookout for nonu trees. This is Culture Compass on ABC Radio Australia. Culture Compass is hosted by me, Sayuli Salamasina von Raiki. Our ABC Radio Australia executive producer is Falangafulu Inga Stunsner. From Deadset Studios, our producer is Grace Pashley, and our executive producer is Rachel Fountain. This episode was produced on the lands of the Torrible, Jagara, and Dorumbul people. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Mm-hmm.